everyone. You're listening to Health Affairs This Week. I'm Leslie Erdelak. I'm Rob Lott. Today we're talking about vaccine hesitancy in COVID-19. But before we get into it, Rob, what is vaccine hesitancy and what do we need to know? Yeah, it's a term we've been hearing a lot lately, and it basically refers to the delay in acceptance or refusal of vaccination despite the availability of vaccination services. And that has two pretty serious implications in our conversation about COVID-19. One is that hesitancy doesn't necessarily mean outright and forever refusal. A lot of the people who express hesitancy are persuadable. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about here today. The other important factor is that hesitancy can have a real effect on overall vaccination rates and ultimately herd immunity, which obviously is what we're trying to achieve with the COVID-19 vaccines. And so if you look at something like 15 or 20% of the population expressing hesitancy, the number of those people who we can reach and convince to get vaccinated can really make or break the question of whether or not we achieve herd immunity. Thanks, Rob. We're seeing this massive push to get as many Americans vaccinated as we can. And while around 12% of the population is fully vaccinated, we know that there are some groups that are going to be a little bit harder to persuade. Um, And this is the next big challenge, I think, coming into focus as the vaccine rollout continues. And what we want to avoid is a situation where the supply actually outstrips demand for the vaccine, but the Biden administration seems pretty set on getting ahead of this with an announcement that came out earlier this week. Yeah, that's right, Leslie. Well, actually, going back to, I think it was the day after inauguration, President Biden pledged an, quote, unprecedented vaccination public health campaign. And they've sort of been holding tight on that for the last uh, month or two while they've really focused on ramping up production. Well, now, as it seems like some of those issues are being addressed and the the volume or the supply, rather, of vaccines is getting out into the community, they are being a little more uh, public about the steps they're going to take to really get out there and try to address some of the vaccine hesitancy. And it includes what they promise will be a $1.5 billion effort to really get folks out there, address hesitancy, whether it's fear, apathy, access issues, all of those they're really trying to address with a a targeted campaign. I feel like there's no such thing as, uh, or no concerns around reaching a saturation point. You know, there was that PSA that we talked about that featured the four former U.S. presidents, along with all the kind of grassroots um, outreach campaigns at the local level. Um, And we know that acceptance of the vaccine varies by demographic, and that's, of course, only a small piece of the puzzle. But I think with all the effort that we put into vaccine development, this deserves kind of a commensurate level of energy. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, how how do we line up messaging so that it connects with people who are vaccine hesitant? Yeah, it's a it's a big question, and I think we sort of have a, uh, a sense. Years of research have kind of given us the kind of the guardrails for how to do this. But because this is such an unprecedented situation, and the sort of politics and 
information surrounding vaccination has has gotten really messy. There's really been a new effort to test messages, to talk to folks in potentially hesitant groups, and we're starting to see some of the, the results of that. Yeah, and we actually got some insight from a focus group held last weekend. So Frank Luntz, who's sort of a a veteran GOP pollster guy, was involved in this effort to bring together a group of about 20 or so people who identified themselves as conservative voters who were skeptical about the vaccine. And the goal was to kind of figure out what kinds of messages might persuade them or people like them to get the vaccine. Um, And you also had Republican congressional leaders in the focus group, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and former CDC Director Tom Frieden. So there were the politicians and, and the medical expert having a dialogue with people, sort of hearing out their concerns and testing different arguments and and different messages with the group. And Chris Christie talked about, you know, his own personal experience being diagnosed with COVID, but for the most part, I think everything else coming from the seasoned politicians um, framed more or less um, in a way to kind of appeal to their constituent voters really hit a wall. And people said their hesitation with getting the vaccine kind of stemmed from these concerns around long-term side effects associated with the vaccine and feeling just misled by politicians and government leaders in general. And and, and the turning point, you know, some, including Luntz, have, have pointed out what really resonated was when Dr. Frieden shared five facts about the virus. And he talked about the number of healthcare providers who have been vaccinated, saying that about 95% of the doctors that have been offered the vaccine got it as soon as they could. So I think to the extent that this, you know, this influences how the campaign or any subsequent conversations around vaccine hesitancy play out, we know that people don't respond to politicians, but they do listen to their doctors. Like you were saying, that's not especially surprising. I think, in in my gut, I I know that that you know people are more likely to listen to their doctor than a politician, especially someone who's been sort of engaged in the political back and forth around the coronavirus over the last year. But it is focus groups like this that really underscore the importance of a trusted voice, and you know the. Despite kind of sensing that maybe, you know, politicians aren't the best messengers, we, you know, we still see, like you said, the PSA from the former presidents and, you know, it's, I, I you know, we see President Biden and, and Vice President Harris on the sort of tour of the United States making, you know, making the, the case. And I, while I think that it's important to have our, our president doing that, I think it seems like the people that are really going to connect with those who might be hesitant are targeted voices, trusted voices from the, especially those in the, in the medical field. We actually ran a blog a couple uh, weeks ago by Adam Beckman, Howard Foreman, and Saad Omer, really zeroing in on some steps that health professionals in particular can take to address hesitancy and, and hopefully expand adoption. And so we'll, we'll throw that in the show notes as 
well, but they raised some interesting, interesting suggestions. Yeah, I, I read that. One of the points that the piece raises is the fact that the messenger, you know, is just as important as the message, like we've been talking about. And this person has to have credibility, you know, as, as health professionals often do. And they should embrace that and they should get creative with it because how the message is delivered matters too. The most powerful messages are the ones that convey facts and center around hope. I, I loved that line. And I know people are a little bit divided over this etiquette around the um, the vaccine selfies, but I think some of the videos um, and photos of healthcare workers, you know, holding up their vaccination cards, I think they can be really evocative, capturing you know, that moment in real time. And they can go a long way towards countering some of those narratives that we've seen as part of the anti-vax movement. And it's also this concept that we know from the field of behavioral economics, it's called social proof. And it's when we look um, to the people around us to help make decisions. So I thought that was great. That's absolutely right. You know, my wife actually got her first vaccine last week and took a selfie and she's she's quite teary. Uh, and it's really sort of emotional to look at that photo, you know, to think about everything we've been through over the last year. And I told her, I'm not crying, she's crying. But uh, it was an exciting moment for our whole family. So, but I did want to, one other recommendation from this, from this piece really also focused on avoiding avoiding offering false reassurance. And I think that's that's important that there can be a backlash against sort of the line that everything's going to be okay. We know there's there's you know zero risk at all, no problems at all. Don't worry about it. Just get the stupid vaccine. Well, you know, what again, what we know is that when trusted voices are open and transparent about what they don't know and about sort of the risks, even even while clarifying how very small those risks are compared to the risks of going unvaccinated or the risks of getting COVID or dealing with the consequences of long COVID. Being open and transparent and straightforward about that really has the effect of strengthening the trust between, between those two individuals when they're having that conversation. Yeah, definitely. We know that moving people from vaccine hesitancy to acceptance isn't going to be easy. So we need all the, um, the, the bright and brilliant minds that, that we have, that we can. But, um, you know, at the same time, I think we have a lot of promising and, and science-based strategies at our fingertips um, to help with some of the concerns that people have. Let's uh, cross our fingers and it's probably a good uh, point to wrap up. Thanks so much, Leslie. This was great. Thanks, Rob. Have a good one. Okay. Stay tuned for another episode of Health Affairs This Week and share this one with a friend. 